time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor-comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. As we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with uh, the author of a new book called A Hand Up, which takes on uh, two main themes, a large-scale effort to improve inner-city Baltimore and, of course, resistance by the status quo to large-scale change. The author of that book is uh, Martin Laurent, and he joins me by phone. Marty, welcome to the show. Why, thank you very much. Um, why Baltimore? Could this be any city USA? It could be any city USA. I, I picked Baltimore because of its proximity to Washington, D.C., um, the uh, principal characters being the president and the speaker of the house, and also uh, Baltimore um, is a city in desperate need of improvement. And what? Where did the idea for this book come from? Just watching the news. Uh, how did this end up on your desk? Uh, I came to the theme of collaboration. This is the third book in a series. And uh, two congressmen, initially uh, a a Democrat from New York and a Republican from Nebraska, uh, they meet at their orientation and they decide um, they want to make big change and that uh, a collaborative effort is necessary. And and it evolved... um, Using collaboration as a foil, I guess, it's easy to talk about solutions. Um, You don't get so lost in the arguments, um, which these days in this country are so heated, that uh, the argument takes second place and um, the solution um, is easier to talk about. And certainly um, our inner cities and the failure um, over years and years of effort to uh, really make substantial differences uh, makes that a natural problem to talk about. 
and you said this was the uh, the third book. Um, is that in a series or the third and final of a trilogy? I uh, I have no uh, current plan to write a fourth. Uh, there's the the uh, third book doesn't end the series, so it it is open ended. And I have toyed with um, in the second book. I talk about a constitutional convention, a a way to change rules so that uh, people, both uh, liberals and conservatives, have a change of rules to modernize the Constitution to enable um, us to better govern. And I got a lot of comment on that book that they would, uh, readers wanted to know more about that convention. Um, so I'm toying with an idea of writing a, a uh, separate story about uh, an Article 5 convention. When you started, uh, Marty, did you know this was going to be a, uh, a trilogy at least, or did you write a book and at the end realize, but wait, there's more? Yes, I, more the latter. <laughs> I, I always wonder that. <laughs> I wrote a book, and, and there's, there's just the topic is huge, and it, it really disturbs me that we are at a point in this country where if um, uh, I have to work very hard in the book myself not to be who I am politically, one of the characters can be, but I can't really have an opinion uh, because uh, once you do, once I say I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican, um, I turn off so many people. So um, and that's why I came to the idea of collaboration and and talking about solutions rather than throwing rocks back and forth. Well, and and that really is the uh, the lesson that people need to learn is that you can have different. Um, perspectives, different ideas, um, even to some degree different theologies, and still be civilized and work toward a common good. Exactly. It is, um, if, if you look at the history of the United States, uh, we have always had a segment of the population that's pretty liberal. We've always had a segment that's pretty conservative. And neither of those segments is going away. They're always going to be here. Um, might be easier for one or the other if the other didn't exist, but it always will. So it's um, it, it just seems logical to me that that we would um, reach collaboration as a model. As um, if um, if you recall back. In the 80s, um, Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill came to um, a collaborative decision on Social Security. They had to raise taxes and reduce benefits, and it was generally accepted. Uh, people know that uh, tough decisions are required, and if both sides are for it, um, pills aren't too bitter to swallow. And, and why the interest in these, these political characters? Um, did you base them on, on people you know, and, and what's your interest? Um, my interest is, is in um, 
the disruption of the inability of our system to operate? Did I base the characters uh, on people I know, of course, but not really political figures that I know, um, just people that I've met throughout my lifetime and character uh, character character traits that they have um, and built characters from that. Were you a writer before this uh, before this series began? I have um, my, my uh, working career was with General Motors and um, I have written uh, technical documents and I've I even wrote some nonfiction about uh, how to improve a manufacturing operation in which I was involved for, uh, I don't know, 15 or 20 years or so. Uh, so I have written, but uh, this was my uh, first foray into, into fiction writing. And, and what, uh, what, what caused you to begin, and, and was it kind of tough to get off the ground? Uh, not really. I I just um, I I don't remember a specific event, but it just so disturbs me that um, uh, we seem to be sliding uh, backwards rather than making any progress. I I didn't think that the um, Democrats treated George Bush very well, and then the Republicans treated Barack Obama less well, and now Donald Trump is treated less well. And um, it, it just seemed to me that this, this can't be the solution, that we have to um, put aside differences uh, while we are the preeminent power in the world. Um, I guess it's easy to just sit and squabble internally, but uh, the world isn't a friendly place, and people, uh, I think we saw during this pandemic, um, when we needed medicine and we needed personal protective equipment, we find it's all made in China, and uh, we've got to change some of those things, and we can't seem to change them because we have these narrow focus on on petty issues and and aren't really addressing our big problems. Uh, do the do the characters in the uh, in the book as they I- interact over these uh, these serious urban uh, decay issues um, are, are are there interactions typical of the way things are and put out on display or? Uh, are these people that that work well together in a very unplausible kind of way? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I think uh, perhaps more the latter. Right? Uh, it it is uh, the characters themselves that have decided on collaboration. Um, if you are going to improve uh, an inner city. Uh, I came up with three criteria that it had you have to make it safe and you have to provide great education and you have to give people a reason to be there and those aren't really controversial things uh, the, they're all very obvious now safe 
you don't just get safe by a police presence. Uh, the neighborhood that I live in is safe, but it's safe because uh, my neighbors and myself, uh, we all choose um, not to uh, infringe upon one another. So, th so there has to be an interaction with the community. And um, one of the things that in my book research, I came, um, that there's quite an example in Flint of um, the community working together toward improvement. So uh, these things can be done, and there is nothing uh, magic or mysterious about them. It's just that we don't seem to get to them because we are focused narrowly on what special interests are pushing. And and when we have politicians that are so beholden to those uh, special interests for campaign finance and and other support, how do they how do they ever go against those interests? Yeah, well, that's. Um, one of the reasons that uh, I thought a constitutional convention to amend the Constitution, I, I came to a term limit. Uh, one of the things that I believe we can't uh, ever make much progress if we have career politicians, and then doesn't matter um, of which party they uh, belong or to which party they belong uh, career politicians become more important than uh, the people they represent and that just can't be so um, I very strict uh, one term in the Senate three terms in the House and uh, I didn't change the uh, president two term um, but that would help uh, get rid of some of the influence and then the other thing um, is a balanced budget amendment, and that that really forces some tough decisions to be made. Right now, um, too many things can be, well, we'll go ahead and do that too, just add a little bit to the debt, and that has to stop at some point. Well, and, and it's it's a lot easier to cut taxes than it is to cut the things we're spending the taxes on. Right. And it turns out every time the taxes have been cut, government revenues have gone up and spending has gone up by more right. <laughs> than the revenue increase. So we see tax cut and debt increase and think that, that the cut caused the increase and it's the government just spends more and more marty i have to and take both a, sides I, excuse me no it's all right marty i have to take a short break here um can you stick around so we can talk some more oh absolutely Be okay pleased to. great my guest is uh, martin laurent he is the uh, author of a book called a hand up addressing urban decay resistance of the status quo and uh, we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're uh, 
They are 92.1 FM WFOV, our voices radio in Flint. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. The marches, the beans, the draft card burnings, and best of all, the music. Well, now Apple House has collected the finest of those songs on one album called Golden Protest, performed by the original artists who made them famous. You'll thrill to Society's Child by Janicean, Pleasant Valley Sunday by the Monkees, What Have They Done to the Rain by the Searchers, In the Ghetto by Elvis Presley, Silent Night, 7 O'Clock News by Simon and Garfunkel, and who can ever forget this all-time classic... Yes, it's Barry Maguire's immortal Eve of Destruction. And, of course, my own Masters of War, all for the incredibly low price of $3.95. And if you order now, you'll also receive a treasury of acid rock featuring vanilla fudge, blue chair, frigid pink, Moby Grape, the electric prunes, Jeff Snareplane, Lotharian hand people, to name but a few. Plus, as part of this special limited offer, you also get the best of the supergroups with Traffic, Cream, Blind Faith, Ginger Baker's Air Force, and many, many others. Yes, this is a collector's dream, Golden Protest, plus two fabulous 60s albums, all for only $3.95. If you were to purchase these selections separately, they'd cost you hundreds of dollars, and many cannot be found anywhere at any price. Well... 
It's time for my boot heels to be wandering. But here's something that'll tell you how you can get this amazing record package. Here's how to order this amazing record package. Just send $3.95 and check your money order plus your name and address to Apple House Box 70K South Bend, Indiana. Once again, that's $3.95 and check your money to Apple House Box 70 Tom Sumner, program.com. The Tom Sumner, program.com. This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, my guest this hour is the author of a book called A Hand Up, Addressing Urban Decay and Resistance of the Status Quo. Uh, Martin Laurent is his name. Marty, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Why, thank you. Um, and, and the book, as we discussed during the last segment, is... Uh, has uh, two main themes, a large-scale effort to improve inner-city Baltimore and resistance by the status quo to large-scale change. Um, Most people are resistant to change, Um, although people run around saying we need change and we need change now, but when it comes right down to uh, uh, change, it's they need other people to change. Um, how how do you uh, address that that basic catch twenty two in a hand up? Well, it uh, you are absolutely right that um, we all resist change. That um, in my working career, uh, that was uh, I, I would say my principal job was to get um, GM to change. And and it's it's an incredibly difficult task. Um, when the main characters, when the Democrat and the Republican are working together, so neither one of them are the enemy, um, then you can really talk about uh, uh, the government. Politicians don't want change. Money and power don't want change. Um, big labor, big whatever, nobody wants change, and they actively uh, work against it. It is, um, we may be dysfunctional in uh, many regards, um, but a lot of people make a lot of money off of that dysfunction, and they don't want big change. So they are the people who uh, move, and in, in this case, um, the, um, the two characters since the term limit amendment placed three terms on the Speaker of the House, um, and he is going to be out of politics, and the Democrat and Republican are deciding they want to run together as independents uh, for the presidency and vice presidency. And uh, power can't allow that. It, it just so um, a major plot of the book is how do how does power stop uh, the two of them from running? And if if people were to I don't know hold a, a giant Zoom meeting and and decide that uh, that. They wanted to stop that that impulse to prevent things from changing. How 
how would people govern in a way that allowed change to occur on some sort of natural or organic path? A big part of it is, is from the leadership. And, and right now, our leadership on both sides are triggered to say um, if more safety is desired um, in this COVID, I, the, this COVID outbreak, um, you can be more safe or, or get back to work. And those, uh, both of those are very necessary things. And if government worked together and came out and talked to people about we're going to take this amount of risk, we're going to do these things, and both sides agreed, uh, you can get over a lot of that resistance to change where we are now, no matter what one side wants, the other wants less of it or more of it, and that creates uncertainty, um, which creates paralysis, of course. Well, and of course, there's there's also a, a struggle for credit. Absolutely, yes. That's uh, the big, um, that's a part of the books, too, that, uh, these characters talk about um, for a politician to be successful, the first thing they have to do is be elected. And then it turns out once they are elected, in order to get reelected, they can't really take the stands that they would like to take. They have to do what is popular in their party and what polls well and, and what uh, they get paid for. And so they don't, um, they actively seek election to make a difference and then find that they can't make a difference because they've been elected. So your books are, are really kind of an examination of gridlock, and, and you say it, it popped up on your radar, or, or at least you sort of hinted that it was uh, during the presidency of George Bush and and how he was treated by the opposition and then later Barack Obama and now Donald Trump but um uh is are your books an examination of gridlock and when do you think was there ever a time when we didn't have gridlock um and I've been asked that before and I think there are times when we don't have gridlock, and that is when the the uh, forces from outside the country are large. And World War II or uh, any of our wars, uh, when when there are forces against us, uh, when the Soviet Union, even the Cold War, uh, when it posed such a threat, um, it's easier to to put aside our internal differences and work together. Uh, we haven't had that kind of a threat for a while, and we tend to uh, drift further and further apart, um, and unfortunately, something will come along, some external threat, and force us to focus 
inward on solutions, I think. Like a pandemic. A pandemic is is a great example. Um, it hasn't it hasn't worked so far. Um, we still have the issue of you cannot be safe from the pandemic and uh, go out and work, go out and live as you used to. And if we don't go out and work and live, um, the, the, there's a huge problem associated with that. So we haven't found that middle ground yet. And it is unfortunate the way we are right now, uh, the two sides um, exploit the fears of their their constituents uh, to move society one way or the other rather than looking for what's best for the most of us. Well, you know, it's this is oversimplification, but you've got one side that's saying stay in till it goes away and another side that says... Uh, no, we're we're free people. Go out and do what you want. When what you really need are, uh, you know, some some reasonable leaders to sit down and say, what what is the hybrid that allows us to continue to function and be safe? That's uh, that's exactly right, and that's um, although the book doesn't COVID is not one of the topics of the book. But that's well. What, I suspect you were well in. I suspect you were well into editing, Marty, when the yes, when the COVID yes. came along. So you wouldn't have been able to include it. Absolutely, but that's what these that's what these two characters do, and um, all of these things. I uh, I um, have a lot of discussions with people. Um, so that I can understand both points of view, so that I can write about them. And um, during these discussions, uh, two people can almost always come to some reasonable conclusion that these problems aren't so insurmountable. But if if uh, each side um, chooses parts of the issue that cannot be resolved and clings to them to get votes from their side, then then everything gets to be intractable, and that's, that's in large part where we are. You mentioned... Um, immigration is a great example. Yeah, you we, mentioned... Um, Go ahead. It, well, immigration has been an open issue for uh, decades. And it's open because it's to both parties' advantage. They can drum up a ton of votes. You mentioned in the last segment, Marty, that uh, it was... um, I lost my train of thought. Sorry about that, Marty. Um, Oh, no, you mentioned that... that, uh, something parenthetically about researching for the book and what I wanted to ask you is when you're writing a a fictional story um, what kind of research can you do what kind of research went into doing this book and and how does it help you shape this uh, kind of a story well I I researched um, 
into efforts uh, in the past of improving various cities. And, um, I mean, there are a lot of examples of HUD and spending large amounts of money to change the structures and you don't really change the people or change the opportunity or change any reason to be in this particular city and it falls down again in in a short time um, I looked uh, I look for examples and as I say Flint was one that um, a, a good friend of mine um, uh, was born in Flint and she uh, she was familiar with the efforts there, and so I, I read about that. I read a lot about the city of Baltimore and and the things that um, are going on. There, um, at the time I was doing research, uh, Baltimore was a city of about six hundred thousand, and there were more murders—not more murders per capita, but just more murders—than there were in New York City, and. Um, so it, you try to gather as much uh, information as you can so that um, the story that you tell is at least based in a reality. I, you were talking about uh, uh, different projects that you researched uh, on, on how to improve cities, um, like... Um, you mentioned Baltimore, and uh, something came to mind, a presentation I had seen where, and it was in a northern city. I want to say it was like maybe Minneapolis, but um, the idea was these these developers and architects had drawn up some plans for the center city to be all connected with these um, overhead uh, um what hallways or or tunnels almost um and it was it was interesting because um in the photographs that they used to show why this wouldn't work it had all these people milling back and forth from building to building in these enclosures and then down in the street there's somebody who's completely disenfranchised sitting on a bench and there's no one else in the streets yeah i um w one of the big problems that i came across in my research was what they call gentrification and one of the unfortunate impacts on some of the more successful projects is they have made remade a an area so nicely that it does take and it does thrive but the people the disenfranchised people who were there uh, can't afford to be there anymore right they're driven so they out just, in the process yeah they're driven out and uh, end up sitting alone on the bench again um, so one of the things that that this book talks about is um, the developers and and the um, cha the change in Baltimore 
is driven by a private development company. But the developers uh, give shares of the development to the people who are there based on their longevity there and and other factors. But <clears throat> that way, as as this city grows and and the developers make money, the people who are there share in in that gain, and that gives everybody more incentive to make the project work. Is there um, a three or four or five prong approach or a uh, checklist of things that a community must have in order to protect itself from decay? I mean, did you did you discover anything that that even even in your fictional characters and interacting, you know, perhaps in as we said earlier, uh, unplausible ways? Um, if if I mean, were you able to discover something that said if this this and this exist, um, most of these problems go away? The the closest that I would come to that cities. Um, one of my cons- one of my three concepts was there has to be a reason to be there, and cities. Um, if if you look at most most every city, there is there is a reason it's there. Baltimore was a port city, and people came. Uh, from various places, and they settled in Baltimore, and then Baltimore began to have an expertise, and it grew. Well, a generation or two later, it isn't really the same thing. Um, I mean, I, I spent my uh, a lot of my working career in in the Detroit area, and certainly the automotive industry came up, and then as foreign competition came in and and uh, various societal changes took place it went away and the the cities their viability changes so one of the things that you would do if you were to re- recreate a city is is make it viable for today and so uh, um each of this this village that they build has a hub, and the hub has um, things like um, all of the um, internet sales can go there. Uh, there is no private driving within the uh, city itself, uh, within this little village. Everything is uh, self-driven vehicles, and you park your car. Um, if you are a resident, you park your car under the hub, and when you come home, all the all your groceries can be delivered to your self-driven vehicle that takes you to your door. So, um, things we have to create cities for the future, and when you when you stop to think about it, um, and all of our cities are just I mean they. The model hasn't changed almost since the Middle Ages. 
Well, yeah, I remember you mentioned Detroit, and of course, just up the road in Flint, it was a factory town. They built factories, people came to get jobs in the factories. You mentioned Baltimore as a port city. There are, you know, several examples of that around the exterior of uh, of the U.S. Um, but there have been efforts. Uh, I remember Governor Granholm some years ago uh, wanting to buy into a concept of cool cities when when jobs were starting to dry up and and uh, blow away um, she thought you know if if we could get some facades built in downtowns and make them more attractive and support the arts a little bit that we could make our cities cool enough that they would attract people and in the process perhaps entrepreneurs that would you know help spur more business but uh but but i think you're right i think you do have to create a reason for people to want to be in a particular city um and it has to it has to have a, a commercial appeal it it has to be self-sustaining it um one of the things that that this um development demands is they they don't want to pay uh, taxes to the city of Baltimore or to the county or um, they have to um, enable people to use their money to improve that development and to make it safer and so on and so forth so there which of course then creates a political challenge to um, the mayor of Baltimore and the people who are there and vested in how things are done. Um, a big part of why we can't get anywhere is um, again, we're victims of our own success, I would say. The book is called A Hand Up with uh, two main themes, a large-scale effort to improve inner-city Baltimore and resistance by the status quo to large-scale change. It's uh, Again, it's called A Hand Up, Addressing Urban Decay, Resistance of the Status Quo by Martin Laurent. Uh, Marty, we're, we're just about out of time. I can't believe how fast the time has gone. But um, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about obviously the book is a great place to start i'm sure it's available where all fine books are available but um do you have a website i do have a website it is my name uh, marty laurent.com m-a-r-t-y l-a-u-r-e-n-t.com and then, of course, the book is available at Amazon and Kindle versions and that sort of thing. But uh, all three books um, are available at those online locations. So is, uh, are, are you already knee-deep in writing book four? I have, I have started, <laughs> and I, I decided that I, I wanted to make an effort a marketing effort and talk about this book and and um, get it launched before I started writing a, a fourth one there it's it's about an 18 month uh, project to um, and this is a tough time to be uh, dropping a book and and getting the word out but uh, I appreciate you spending some time with us and and sharing uh, information about the book 
Well, I appreciate your questions, and uh, it's been a fascinating interview, and I love the opportunity. Thank you very much. All right, Marty. Best of luck with the book, um, the current book, and uh, future books to come. Take care. Thank you so much. That was Martin Laurent, author of A Hand Up, Addressing Urban Decay, Resistance of the Status Quo. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program right after this. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except 
sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange. It's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman steady sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you, could you be happy if your name is This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons. This day will go down in history as precedent-shattering. John Bickerson is smiling. Despite the lateness of the hour, the fact that he has had perhaps the hardest day of his life at the office, John Bickerson is smiling. Why? Tell us, John. Two weeks vacation with pay. Wait till I tell Blanche, brother, how I've longed for this. I'll sew myself into the bedsheets and sleep for ten days. John? Hello, Blanche. How is my beautiful wife? What? Would you like me to bring you a glass of milk and a cookie? And here's a little present for you. You look wonderful, honey. Oh, this is awful. What's the matter? This morning I burned my hand on the stove. I ripped my only pair of nylons. My inlay fell out. And now you come home drunk. What are you talking about? I'm not drunk and you know it. Then why are you so nice to me? What's the use? When I come home tired, can't smile, she beefs. When I come home and try to be pleasant, she accuses me. Put out the lights. You're not going to bed with your shoes on. Yes, I am. I work like a horse. I might as well sleep like a horse. Why did you bring me a present? What have you been up to, John? Bring his wife a present. Oh, stop it. A husband doesn't bring his wife a present unless he's done something wrong. I've brought you a million presents and I've never done anything wrong. Never. Not since the day I married you. I wish you'd let me sleep. Sure. Sleep. That's the easiest way out when you've got a guilty conscience. Blanche, I tell you, I haven't got a guilty conscience. Then why did you buy me an expensive present? It isn't an expensive present. It's the crummiest present I could find. I could believe that, all right. What is it? Why don't you open it and see? I bet you've gone and thrown away your money on some stupid thing I can't even use. Oh, you can use it fine. A home beauty outfit. It's got everything, just what you need. Wrinkle cream, freckle remover, hair darkener, false eyelashes, chin reducing strap. What kind of a present do you call this? What are you hinting at? How did I know what was in it? Nobody would use this but a homely woman. Oh, that's not true. All women use it. They do not. Only the homely ones and I wouldn't touch it. The sales girl in the drugstore said she uses it all the time, and she's not half as homely as you are. What? I mean, you're just as pretty. And that's just about what happened. You walked into a drugstore, saw a pretty face, and didn't know what you were buying. I didn't look at her face at all. If you were going to buy me a present, why didn't you buy me something I could use? Why didn't you get me an ounce of taboo? What's that? My favorite perfume. Well, you've got a dresser full of perfume. Taboo, Sabu, Snafu, Sterno. Enough perfume for any woman alive. Look at those bottles. They're all empty. 
And it's all your fault. You left the corks out and it evaporated. I leave the cork out of my bourbon, don't I? Well, what about it? That never evaporates. You never give it a chance. I don't see why I should have to do without because of your nasty habits. What do you think makes a thing dry up, John? Wish I knew. Don't be so funny. Oh, I'm not funny. I'm sleepy. You know I worked at the office 18 hours without a let-up? That's what you said you did. That's what I did. I did it for what I thought was a good reason, but now I'm sorry. Why? Forget it. What is it, John? What happened? <gasps> you lost your job. I didn't lose my job. I got two weeks vacation with pay. It's the first vacation I've had in seven years, and I wanted to enjoy it. But no, you wouldn't stand for that, would you? How can you say that, John? Of course. Of course, I want you to enjoy yourself. Where's the money? In my wallet. Two whole weeks' pay. Now, do you mind if I rest? You know, John, I haven't had a vacation either. A change of scene will do us both a world of good. If you're so tired, there's only one thing in the world for you to do. He's doing it. Where did he say that money was? Here it is. Two weeks' pay. Blanche, put that money back. Oh, I, I thought you were sleeping, dear. What were you doing with that money? What's the matter, Blanche? I, I'm not doing anything. I'm just counting it to see if they gave you the right amount. It's the right amount. Put it back and go to sleep. You needn't talk like that. I wasn't going to steal it. Who said you were? Just like you to make a crack like that. I didn't make any cracks at all. Go on. Call the police. Have me arrested. Put me in prison. Nobody's putting you in prison. They'll lock me up in solitary confinement. Rats running all over me in my cell. And I stand helpless, shaking, behind iron bars. No way to escape. Blanche. Oh, why don't you send me a hacksaw, John? You're getting hysterical. Well, don't go accusing me of taking your money. It's half mine anyway. It's all yours. All I want is sleep. I don't see why we can't go away on a vacation for a few days. You go. I told you I'm going to do nothing but sleep for the whole two weeks. You'll have to get up sometime. Not even once. How are you going to collect your unemployment insurance? What unemployment insurance? You're going to be out of work for two weeks. You can't collect unemployment insurance if you've got a job. If you're not working, you haven't got a job, have you? That's different. Why? I don't know why. Nobody does it, that's all. Well, what's the good of unemployment insurance if you don't get any money when you're unemployed? Being on vacation is not the same as being unemployed. Don't tell me. What? Clara's husband, Barney, has never had a job his whole life, and he collects his unemployment check every week. He can't collect any checks if he doesn't work. I thought you said they only pay you when you don't work. That's right. But you have to work before you can be out of work so you have a legitimate claim for the money you earn that you don't get. I don't get it. Oh, leave me alone. And I'm telling you now, John, you've got two weeks off and you're going to do one of two things. Do you hear me? I hear you. Either you start collecting your unemployment insurance or else you fill in those two weeks with another job. Another job? This is my vacation. I don't care. It won't hurt you to work those two weeks. And we could use the money. Okay, I'll get another job in the morning. You say it, but you won't do it. Do it now. What? Go on, get up, 
Get a job, you loafer. What kind of a job can I get at two o'clock in the morning? What's the matter with being a night watchman? I won't do it. I won't do it. You've got no right to deprive me of my two weeks off. I don't care what happens. I won't get another job. All right then. Promise you'll take me away on a vacation. There's no way out. I promise. Will you swear? Every minute that we're away. I know where we'll go. Lake Tahoe. I'll only have to buy a few more dresses, and you can wear your dungarees all the time. Okay. Just tell them you came in from fishing, and if it gets cold, I've got just the thing. Let me show you what I picked up on sale yesterday. I don't want to see it. Just look at this, John. Isn't it stunning? What's so stunning about a bath rug? It's a fur cape, silly. Well, where's the fur? Well, that's the way it's supposed to look. It's the very latest style, sheared beaver. Sheared beaver? It's been clipped. So have I. You have not. This is worth every penny, John. You know I'm a good judge of furs. Oh sure. The past two years you bought a bald mink and a plucked skunk. Well, what's wrong with them? The mink stinks and the skunk shrunk. Blanche, how much did you pay for this one? Only ninety-four dollars. Ninety-four dollars? Oh, Blanche, you didn't. Get that money back. You hear me? Get that money back. Don't get hysterical. As soon as the Blanche, how could you do this to me? I deny myself everything. I've been sewing heels on your old pocketbooks and wearing them for shoes. I've been eating the padding out of my overcoat shoulders to save on breakfast cereal. I don't even drink my bourbon anymore. I just chew the cork and hit myself on the head with the bottle. I never spend a nickel on myself. You bought a bag of popcorn yesterday. That wasn't popcorn. My teeth fell out from malnutrition. I'm warning you, Blanche. Blanche, you're not going to get away with it. What do you want? Hello, Bickerson. This is Mr. Guernsey. Yes.、Uh, oh, hello, Mr. Guernsey. I hate to be calling you at this hour, Bickerson, but something very urgent has come up. What happened? I just received word that our Chicago plant burned down, and we weren't covered. This morning, I filed bankruptcy proceedings, and I'm closing up for good. What? I trust you'll find a new position, and I do wish you good luck. Well,、uh, thanks. By the way, Bickerson, would you mind sending back that two-week salary I gave you? I need every penny I can scrape together. Yeah,、um, sure. I'll send it.、Uh, goodbye. Well, did you hear that, Blanche? No. What was it? My boss, Mr. Guernsey. I lost my job. <gasps> wonderful. Wonderful. What's so wonderful about it? Now you can collect your unemployment insurance. Oh, Blanche. Good night, John. Baby.
TomSumnerProgram.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Hi, I'm Alexander Zajic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 